Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KFI AM uh, 640. Bill Handel here. Monday morning, uh, May 9th. A lot going on this morning. Uh, the big story, I guess, internationally is uh, the uh, speech that uh, President Putin of Russia made celebrating May 9th. Uh, and uh, May 9th is a very important day in Russia because that is uh, the celebration of the ending of World War II, the signing of uh, the surrender of Nazi Germany. And if you notice that Putin keeps on referring to the denazification of uh, Ukraine, uh, he keeps the reference going and going. And the, the, the reason is uh, because what Germany did, Nazi Germany did to Russia, uh, to them it is a critically important holiday to celebrate. When Nazi Germany came in and they went through Ukraine, uh, the slaughter that happened, the Ukrainians who first were, it was okay. They didn't have a huge problem uh, except that uh, the uh, immediate killing and torture happened uh, virtually immediately. Uh, and it rolled uh, through the Nazi uh, uh, military just rolled through. And uh, the suffering that happened with Ukrainians as well as in various other parts of Russia uh, until literally the Russians were uh, – the Germans were stopped I think 35 kilometers, 20 miles from Moscow. And so it's a huge celebration on May 9th. Not, uh, they have several, but it's as important as anything else. And there on Red Square, uh, you see the massive military parade. This started in the sort of late 50s, 60s, uh, the celebration of May 9th. And then whatever the leader talks about, uh, the heroic efforts of uh, the Russian people against the Nazis. And like 20 million Russians ended up dying uh, during the war. So finally, the war is over. And the celebration begins. And at that time, the United States were allies with Russia, although as soon as the war was over, the Cold War started virtually immediately. Actually, it started during the war. So here is uh, what was anticipated. And the big anticipation was that Putin was going to formally declare war on Ukraine. And on the basis of that, under Russian law, could start conscription of uh, Russian forces, simply start drafting Russian forces, which uh, at this point he can't do, and uh, create a uh, a war economy uh, to exactly what we did during uh, World War II. Once war was declared, uh, it turned everything around and uh, the entire country went to a war economy where the manufacturing facilities, the cars, the equipment that was manufactured prior to the war, all of that turned into uh, manufacturing war material. And this is uh, effectively what Putin could have done, and he didn't. He still doesn't use the word war. He still uses the word uh, special military action. 
And so he spent a lot of time talking about the denazification of Ukraine. We're going to save the Russian people. He also said the reason for the war is to fight the allies. It's gone way beyond Ukraine. This is the Western world. This is the Western alliance that is going to attack Russia. We are saving ourselves. I am saving you, the people of Russia, from this eminent attack from the West to effectively take over, to destroy uh, our civilization, to destroy us. Now, it, it sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? He also accused the West of maybe, oh, I think he did, of having the 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 atomic weapons and thinking of, of uh, and we, Western Alliance, thinking of attacking Russia with atomic weapons, which is so ludicrous because the only person who even began to talk about atomic weapons, uh, Putin sort of talked about it, Lavrov, or Lavrov, who is the uh, foreign minister, secretary of state of Russia, really kept on pushing uh, the possibility of uh, some kind of a tactical uh, atomic attack, uh, nuclear attack. So yeah, he kept on doubling down, Putin did, manufacturing all of his facts, painting the invasion of Ukraine as purely a defensive move on behalf of Russia, uh, stopping the uh, Russian invasion of the Nazis that are backed up by the West. I mean, it is crazy. And the problem is, is that most Russians are buying it because of uh, the media that's controlled by Putin and the government and its pure pop propaganda. And when you control the media, yeah, your message goes. And uh, the uh, message on the other side saying none of this is true, that doesn't get out whatsoever. So the story of uh, this particular speech that was made uh, is what he didn't say. He did not go beyond what is happening now in the justification. He didn't add anything to it whatsoever. Uh, what's going on, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what's happening with Ukraine, and that's because uh, May 9th uh, is the anniversary of the fall of Nazi Germany when Germany surrendered uh, to the Russians, interestingly enough. Uh, at um, It was in France, in Reims, where the surrender took place, and uh, the... It's a whole history behind it. Eisenhower, who's head of uh, all Western forces in uh, Europe, wouldn't even go to the signing of the unconditional surrender. Wouldn't even attend it. He was so disgusted with Germany. He says, I am not going to get anywhere near that. And it turned out his chief of staff signed on behalf of the United States. In any case, uh, we know, and the Biden administration has admitted uh, that it is sharing intelligence with Ukrainians Vis-a-vis, -vis, the intelligence is collecting on Russia. Movements, uh, tank movements, uh, we can pick it, uh, what it can pick up electronically. One of the things the United States has is uh, either the most sophisticated, successful intelligence operation in the world or right up there in the top uh, two or three. And so uh, the U.S. is collecting this. Now, already uh, what the Biden administration did was release intelligence uh, that would have been classified about the invasion. Russia kept on saying all we're doing is uh, military exercises along the Belarus-Ukrainian front. And no, oh, no, we're not doing that. These are normal 
exercises. And it was the Biden administration that early came out and, and said, no, they're not. And shared classified information about the uh, the oncoming invasion, where it was going to happen, the number of troops involved. And so they've been collecting a ton of information about Russia and sharing it with Ukrainians. Now, here is what the Biden administration has to do is walk a very fine line while admitting that uh, this intelligence is being shared with Ukraine, saying it has nothing to do with what Ukraine, the Ukrainian military, does with that information. In other words, uh, we don't say there's the ship right there. You bomb it at eight o'clock tonight. We're talking about the Moskva, uh, the flagship of the Russian fleet in the the Baltic. Uh, And uh, what that was about and boy, the Ukrainians went uh, just absolutely crazy with uh, uh, their announcement that they had bombed the flagship uh, military Uh, Well, actually, one of the biggest military weapons that Russia has, because it can literally unload these shells that go for miles and miles. I mean, this is a major battleship. And they bombed it out of existence. They sunk the ship. And Russia tried to come up with all kinds of excuses. It caught fire. It sunk. It was on its way to be repaired. I mean, of course, no one bought that. It was Ukrainians that did the bombing. And we know now that it was based on uh, American intelligence, exactly where it was, coordinates, uh, what was going on, what was happening on the ship, its defensive posture. And so, boom, here you go. We're sharing information. And here's why the United States has to walk this fine line as I started uh, this monologue. And that is Russia has already said that anybody that supplies weapons— to Ukraine will be deemed effectively at uh, at conflict with Russia. Hasn't done anything about it, merely said it. And it can be argued, uh, and Russia is making this argument, if you are helping my enemy, you become my enemy. If you are supplying weapons, then effectively you are at war with us. The problem is, what does Russia do? You've got all of Western Europe supplying arms to Ukraine at the Polish border. Now, they're not delivering over the Ukrainian border the weapons. They stay on this side, but it's still supplying them. And so the United States, particularly the United States, has to say two things. One is we are, had to admit, that intelligence is being used. And I'm talking about killing of uh, the Russian generals. I'm talking about the successful defense. I'm talking about the successful offense of Ukraine, uh, the counterattacks. I mean, they're using, Ukrainians are using very highly sophisticated intelligence supplied by the United States. So you've got Secretary of State Blinken. uh, You have Defense Secretary who is saying, yeah, we're supplying, but we are making no decisions. We're throwing everything at them, and they're picking and choosing. We have nothing to say about targets. We have nothing to say about where they're going to uh, defend a position or attack. All we do is give them the information. Now, frankly, I think that's a specious argument uh, because, eh, come on. 
I mean, we give them information, they use the information, but we don't decide what they're going to uh, use. Well, of course we know what they're going to use. We give them the information. Here are the high-end generals. But you do with information you want. So they kill the generals. Well, it wasn't our decision. So we're pulling back at least in terms of the rhetoric, not in terms of the actual intelligence that's being shared. Okay, and that's one line uh, that has been drawn. The other one is the weaponry, because there has been a change in the kind of weaponry the United States has now produced for Ukraine. In other words, the shipping of weaponry now includes a ton of lethal weapons. Before it was defensive, and now it is high-end uh, artillery, which is, can be specifically targeted, and it's no longer defensive missiles, for example, uh, missile systems. Now it's offensive, surface-to-surface artillery, uh, high-end radar systems, which we were not shipping out there because the United States produces the most sophisticated weapon systems in the world, and we keep back most of it. We're not really good about sharing it around the world. Now, we do with a few countries. Certainly with England, we do even Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is considered uh, a, an ally of the United States. But for the most part, it ain't going to happen. Well, it's happening. And then that puts Russia in, it puts Putin in a different space. Because now when he says weapons being supplied to Ukraine, uh, it's no longer defensive weapons. Now it is to attack Russian troops. It is to attack Russian tanks. And the drones that are being supplied, the killer drones, uh, other weapon systems, well, what does Putin do with that one? Does he go to war with the United States? Does he attack Poland? Now, certainly on the Ukrainian side, he can attack uh, the transportation methods that are being used to bring arms to the front. And the front being eastern Ukraine, although there's plenty of shelling that's going on against uh, uh, the western uh, cities. Lviv, for example, uh, is right there. And other towns that are being bombed, uh, Odessa uh, on the port, uh, the westernmost major port. So Putin is sort of dealing with his issues. The United States is dealing with its issues. And when you're, deal when you're talking about the sharing of intelligence, uh, the United States is sharing with Ukraine, man, they have to tiptoe uh, tip through this one. It's not an easy uh, position to take. Yes, no, kind of. So that's what's going on. And uh, the uh, May 9th speech that Putin just made in celebration of uh, the Nazis, the Germany losing the war, uh, didn't uh, really talk about that, he sort of stayed away from uh, the attack, specifically in the United States. He did talk about the Western world uh, is attacking Russia, uh, but they're, uh, what they're doing is setting it up. There hasn't been an invasion. He didn't say that. He didn't go so far. Matter of fact, what he didn't say was far more important than what he did. Come June 1st, we're going to see some big changes in how we deal with the water usage and the water shortage here in Southern California. Uh, local water agencies, as of June 1, 
are under orders to slash the use of supplies from the state water project by 35%. But the experts saying, hey, the cuts are achievable. And uh, even, let, let's say reducing outdoor watering to one day a week, which is coming into effect. That can yield immediate savings. I mean, at that point, that starts it all. And what researchers are saying and water policy experts saying, obviously, uh, we've got to adapt big time and very quickly to the severe drought or we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And uh, this adaptation can be difficult. But, you know, you can look at other cities and countries and states that are doing uh, more than their fair share and that they're ahead of the class. For example, there's a town called uh, Heedle or Healdsburg in Sonoma County. They cut water use by 56% last summer. Las Vegas has reduced uh, its per capita water by almost half. Uh, The big story, uh, the head honcho, uh, the place where uh, water uses have been cut and just experts at this all over the world is Israel. Uh, They use wastewater recycling, desalination, Uh, technologies, because keep in mind, Israel is a desert. I mean, top to bottom, they have one huge freshwater lake, the Sea of Galilee, and that's it. Jesus walked across, remember that, on his pontoon feet. And uh, they are like complete experts uh, in dealing with water, and the rest of the world is looking at them. So let's go to Healdsburg, about 400 miles north of L.A. Uh, And uh, they're already a year ahead of what we're doing in terms of drought response. Right. Uh, Dismal rainfall last year, like us, uh, low, historically low allocations from its primary water source, the upper Russian River. And uh, Jen, why do they call it the Russian River? Do we know historically? Because Russia actually came down and uh, explored uh, right to northern California, which is why there's so many Russian towns and the Russian River. Uh, It was Russia, actually. You look at uh, Russian Orthodox churches. It was kind of neat. So I just thought I'd mention that, the Russian River. Anyway, uh, Healdsburg uh, Utilities Director said rainfall was lower than it's been in 100 years. So in response, here's what the officials did. Uh, They set out to reduce water consumption by 40%, and they did. And what they did is employ some of the same actions that we are considering today in Southern California. I tell you, they're ahead of the game. Capping household water use, a near total ban of outdoor irrigation. Forget about green lawns. Uh, Jen was saying that you buy spray paint, uh, spray, spray paint and you spray the lawns green, which I think kind of neat. I mean, that's cheap and it looks pretty good, cheaper than putting in fake grass. Also, they patrol the area, and uh, they do it big time. They have uh, the water police going all over the place, and they issue fines. Well, first of all, warnings and fines, and which is crap. I mean, they really want to deal something. First time out, five years. Second time out, 25 to life. You will see water usage reduced to nothing that isn't absolutely necessary. And uh, uh, they have programs, rebate programs, to replace some of the grass with drought-tolerant uh, landscaping, which we have all over the place. We just have to use it. Succulents, for example. Uh, indoor appliances can be replaced 
with better water efficiency. I mean, they've already done that. The DWP has done that with electrical devices, with appliances, dishwashers, uh, refrigerators that use a tiny bit of electricity relative to the older ones. Uh, There's also monitoring devices. There's one called a flume that helps keep track of water use by the gallon. Water restrictions are kicking in big time here in the Southland. Won't be able to water your lawns except one day a week. And just a bunch of other restrictions are coming in. And as I pointed out, uh, the California leader is a little town of 11,000, about 400 miles north of here, uh, Healdsburg. And last summer, they created a recycled water hauling program, treated wastewaters, trucked into town, and uh, that is used to supplement uh, the water that's being used. They're doing everything they can. I mean, they actually they actually truck in these huge water tanks, and this is uh, treated wastewater because that's the other uh, technology that's going to happen. I mean, you watch uh, in the years ahead because the drought is coming. We're going to have treated sewer water because it's perfectly clean. Matter of fact, it's cleaner than when it goes uh, when uh, clean water goes in. It's some of the cleanest water in the world. It has to be. So uh, let's move to Las Vegas, uh, and there ahead of the grand, uh, 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 ahead of uh, most other states, uh, they have shrunk their water footprint over the last twenty years. Southern Nevada water, uh, the authority's consumption of the Colorado River water, which is the majority of water they get. Uh, declined about 26% this, since 2002, and 750,000 new residents came in, and water usage dropped 26%. And it all started in 2002 when the Water Authority used more than its allocation of Colorado River water. And at that point, according to the Deputy General Manager of Resources of the agency, that said that's when we really flipped the switch. And they began providing cash rebates to help homeowners cover the cost of taking out lawns, putting in drip-irrigated desert shrubs and trees. I mean, if you look at Nevada, if you go to Las Vegas, all the trees, all the greenery, uh, all of that is put in by man. If you look at actual indigenous plants, it's a bunch of cacti or cactuses. And you have the succulents, you know, those water drought plants. And uh, I was there, uh, you know, visiting my friend up there. And uh, front lawns were dirt with a plant here and there. I mean, and a rock here and there. I mean, very sparse, very minimalist. And no lawns. In 2004, front uh, yard lawns were prohibited for new residential developments, prohibited in new commercial developments, Golf courses were given water budgets. Matter of fact, I think, and I I know this for a fact, I think water uh, used in golf courses is recycled water. And then they, you see these sprays of these sprinklers, massive sprinklers, and you see them during the day, which makes no sense at all. Watering with sprinklers makes no sense anyway. It's a horrible use of water where the drip system 
and uh, well, I'm not going to make drip jokes. Uh, where uh, the drip system are these little pipes coming in. I mean, that's the best uh, underwater or underground systems where tiny little bits of water at the root level are released. Or you have overground uh, piping, plastic piping, that drip, drip, drips onto the plant. Uh, you use a fraction of the water. Uh, about 40% of the area's water in Las Vegas is used indoors. Wastewater is treated and released back into the nearby reservoir at Lake Mead to be reused. Now, when we talk about wastewater, we're not talking about sewer water. We're talking about gray water, dishwasher, sink water, that sort of thing. And uh, the conservation programs right now focus mainly on shrinking uh, water that isn't recycled. And that's 60% outdoors. So... Nevada legislature passed a law last year. No use of Colorado River water for non-functional or decorative grass. Streets, commercial properties, apartment complexes, etc. All right, so where do we go to find uh, the world leader in dealing with water? Israel. No surprise. Uh, first of all, Israel is a desert from top to bottom with one major, major source of uh, water, and that's the, the Galilee. You know, big, you know, Jesus with his boat and throwing the fish into the sea. I mean, you know that story. Uh, and if you don't, you're not Christian, I guess. And you also have aquifers uh, underground, but water has always been super limited. And if you look at the history of Israel, what they've done with agriculture is extraordinary. It takes a lot of water. And so uh, decades ago, they started uh, dealing with water, adapting and using less water. Water recycling is huge there, has been for decades. Desalination, very expensive, but boy, does that work. Drip irrigation, of course. And during the last three decades, Israel's made a quantum leap, uh, leap literally ahead of everybody else. And if you look at the world, dry climates— uh, the world is looking to Israel as the leader in dealing with maintaining water uh, and use of water at the lowest possible level possible or the lowest possible level. Uh, Israel's national water company, they have a national water company, not just state or, or local like we do, uh, says that the country has invested hugely in water recycling. And I'm going to give you a couple of stats. As much as 90% of the country's wastewater is recycled and reused, and it goes to agriculture. Okay, 90% Israel, we recycle 23% of municipal water. 80% of uh, the household drinking water goes through six major desalination plants near the Mediterranean Red Seas. Uh, water, seawater is pumped to the plants. It's ready to be used for drinking, showers, cooking after four hours. Seawater goes in four hours later, and usually it takes days to get a good amount of water from desalinization. They do it in four hours. Uh, I mean, it's really crazy. And here's another thing which we can look to Israel for. Has some of the lowest leak levels in the world. Do you know how much water leaks out of our piping here? Because some of it's 100 years old. Uh, and uh, U.S. Uh, utilities, about an average, have a water loss as rate as 30%, as high as 30%. In Israel, it's less than 8%. And water main breaks. Now, how many water mains do we see broken during the year? 
you know, those huge flumes of water coming up and they go on for hours and hours. It's unheard of in Israel to have a water main break. And they use sensors and they use uh, algorithms to figure all of this out. And Israel is described as a water superpower, uh, except for Palestinians uh, in neighboring areas. Eh, we're not going to share our technology there and eh, let them uh, deal with it. And it's the same area, too. But then again, that has a lot to do with politics. And frankly, I think uh, the Arab countries in Gaza are completely crazy to be at war with Israel. Uh, and this is not a political statement. It's just, can you imagine the agriculture that they would have, uh, the water reclamation that Israel would be forced to share because of simply, uh, you know, uh, public opinion. But anyway, we're going to quickly go in that direction because we have to. And the world's going to go in that direction because we have to. And we have absolutely no choices. Coming up. Uh, our street improvement programs uh, is being described as a threat to public safety here in the city of Los Angeles. I will explain coming up. This is KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.